0: Today's guest of the Last Minute Wrestling Podcast is Paul Jay, who is a, a, a director who did the wonderful documentary Wrestling with Shadows about Bret, Hart's, uh, uh, Bret Hart and the Screwjob of Montreal in 97, and also he is the host of Analysis.News. Uh, so, hi, Paul. Thank you very much for being here. And uh, first question, straight out of the bat. Is this the first time that a guy from Italy is is interviewing you? No. Okay. Okay.
1: It's the first time a guy from Italy is interviewing me about wrestling, I think. <laughs> but it's not the first time a guy from Italy has interviewed me.
0: Okay. Perfect. Well, it's still it, it still counts in one way or another, right? But uh, sure. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, we are pretty much famous uh, for not for being the wrestling podcast, who really doesn't talk so much about wrestling very very little wrestling will be will okay. be touched will be discussed during this interview and uh, before we press the the record button you you mentioned to me that uh, you feel that that wrestling is uh, something that you can you can compare to today's politics isn't it
1: yeah i, I think uh, in, in many levels um First of all, Donald Trump, I believe, actually was trained in how to be a politician uh, during his time at the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, He had this whole storyline going with Vince McMahon, uh, which I think ended with Trump beating McMahon and getting to shave his hair off or something. I can't remember the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. He learned how to stand in front of crowds of thousands of people and perform the character Donald Trump. Um, I don't know if he had had much experience doing that before, mm-hmm. um, but beyond Donald Trump, I think wrestling is a good metaphor for today's politics because, uh, as we all know, although when when I made Wrestling with Shadows, we didn't all know th- uh-huh. that wrestling is theater. Yeah, uh, I think our film was the first film that really pierced the the veil. Yeah. You know the kayfabe veil, and and showed that wrestling was scripted. It was all worked out, and in fact, it was it was after the film that McMahon and WWF later WWE they essentially had to acknowledge even within the storylines, or at least publicly, that it was all theater. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people knew, but it's surprising how many people didn't know. At any rate. The thing is, while it's all theater, and I think so much of certainly American politics, but I, mm-hmm. I'm sure politics in, in practically every country of the world—yeah, pretty much—is is is very much a false theatrical presentation, covering up what really goes on behind the scenes. Um, now, that's not to say there isn't a real competition in wrestling; no there problem. is. Uh, Even though it's scripted who wins and who loses, who performs better, and most importantly, who gets the crowd to pop, um, that's the competition. And the more you can get the crowd to pop, uh, the more matches you'll get, the more scripts will favor you, and and favoring you doesn't mean winning. Favoring you means giving you an increasingly prominent position. Uh, where you appear on the bill, and so on. So like politicians have to prove to their multi-millionaire and billionaire backers, mm. uh, they can get people to vote for them yes. with mostly a bunch of bullshit and empty rhetoric, <laughs> uh, but, but performance. And it's the same thing at wrestling. So, so even though the performance of politicians is bullshit, they are still having to prove that they can get elected. To the people with money. Now, there's some exceptions. There are, you know, there's a few politicians in the U.S. and Canada. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's some in Europe, who actually do believe uh, in 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 trying to make change, and and they're, you know, they have some courage of their convictions. Yeah. But there's a hell. There's very few of them. Um, now, underneath this, what you see in wrestling, mm-hmm. is first of all, there's an art to making. A, a hit look real and it's mostly the person getting hit that has to have the art. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the person hitting has to make sure they don't actually hit and you get as close as you can. Yeah. But the person who really sells it is the one that gets hit and knows how to jerk their head and fall down and make it look real. Uh, these are all tricks of the trade in politics as well. Um, uh, but underneath all of this is a, a very big corporation in terms of the World Wrestling Federation or WWE now. Yeah. And it's a multi-billion dollar business. I don't know if it's quite as big as it used to be when we made the film.
0: Yeah, prob- probably even bigger at the moment. Because it's even it, bigger. It, well, yeah, it, it branched out uh, in many different avenues as well.
1: So, so there's a lot of money at stake. Yeah. And the people that own it, Vince McMahon, Linda McMahon, are very close Trump supporters yes. and financiers. Uh, you know, she was Linda McMahon, was actually on Trump's board of directors, mm-hmm. uh, not board of directors. Sorry, on his, yeah, on, his the, cabinet. On, the, on the cabinet, sort of the, yeah. the cabinet, sort of the yeah. same thing, and uh, and are part of a, a, a right wing cabal that is trying to retake control of American. Government, state, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's becoming a very dangerous phenomena. Uh, the cabal of, that uses Trump as a vehicle. Yeah, um, I, I don't know whether, and I doubt that McMahon and Linda McMahon are part of this kind of Christian nationalist, Christian fascist mm-hmm. uh, phenomena. I think that what goes on in the ring in wrestling is 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 a little bit too degenerate, <laughs> too obviously. <laughs> Uh, for the Christians to, to embrace, although I'm sure lots of them watch it. But, yeah. uh, but there's a kind of unholy alliance here between a group of some mostly secular uh, billionaires and multimillionaires who just, you know they like the tax cuts, they like the deregulation. Yes. And they're, and in the wrestling in Vince, Vince McMahon's uh, world, uh, it, a large section of his audience, uh votes for trump and so that you know from a purely commercial uh, angle it helps him to be allied yeah Um, but within that cabal are billionaires like the Koch brothers or robert mercer uh, who really are far right-wing zealots and uh in all likelihood not likelihood from we're pretty sure are part of this christian nationalist slash fascist Mm -hmm. uh, movement uh, in terms of the money
0: yeah
1: and uh, and there really was an attempted coup, uh, like I've been saying. If people watch the analysis, uh, uh, January six was just January the final yeah. Th- yeah, was just the final act of a failed coup. The, the real a coup attempt happened before January six. Um, so so the so this wrestling uh, cabal, the wrestling show, mm-hmm. is like the theater. Like you take what's going on in Ukraine now. You, know, you have a great deal of theater taking place on all sides of this. Um, like, why is the United States and, and, and Western Europe, why on earth are they refusing to simply say Ukraine will never become part of NATO? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because you know, it's a pissing mass, it's posturing, it's, geo, it's this sort of geopolitical strategic thinking. Yes, which is very much driven by the military-industrial complex. They know they can make money out of almost war. I mean, they make money out of war too, but they can make tons of money out of almost war. Now, I think everybody knows that there is no way NATO is ever going to have Ukraine in it. There's no way all of Europe will agree to it. Mm-hmm. Even the United States, in, in spite of all the rhetoric, I can't believe they actually want Ukraine and NATO. Are they get, Do they actually want an obligation to have to send troops into Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Very unlikely. Yeah. So what the hell is this all about? Why don't you just say, okay, for the next 35 years, we won't even ask Ukraine to be in. Well, because this tension serves uh, geopolitical, agendas mostly linked to arms manufacturers. Yes. <clears throat> now flip it on the other side. While I think the main culprit here is the United States and the pro-American Ukrainian elites. Like mm-hmm. why do, why doesn't the Ukrainian government if they want to calm this all down? They could do just do two things. Mm-hmm. One, say we withdraw our application to be in NATO. We don't even want to be in NATO. All it does is make us a target. And number two, we'll actually live up to the Minsk Agreement, which is a, a deal that was brokered by France and Germany, mm-hmm. where Ukraine Russia agreed that these uh, eastern uh, territories of Ukraine could have a certain amount of autonomy, and the Uk- Ukrainian government would respect it. Mm-hmm. So just live up to the Minsk Agreement, declare you don't want to be part of NATO because Frankly, you're never going to be anyway, so what's the point of all this? No, but what happens if the Ukrainian government does that? Well, they're not going to get hundreds of millions of dollars of military supplies sent to them, and we know the Ukrainian government, like many, but particularly, is corrupt as hell, and Ukrainian politicians are skimming Mm -hmm. lots of money out of all this military Junk coming to them and money coming to them. So it's very lucrative for them. Yeah. And of course, like Biden announces $200 million military equipment going to Ukraine. Well, what are they going to do with that $200 million? Who's getting the money? American mm-hmm. arms manufacturers. It's like a pass through. Yeah. Give it to Ukraine, Ukraine gives it to American companies. I mean, it, 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 it's such bullshit. But I have to say, it's on the flip side. Well, mm-hmm. I think the Russian demand for Ukraine not to be a NATO is a reasonable one. It's very provocative, and in fact, they were promised that uh, by George Bush Sr. and by Clinton. Uh, uh, you know, Gorbachev it did, it dates promised back, that. It dates
0: back a few decades, probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but on the other hand, what exactly is the danger of Ukraine being in NATO? I mean, he, they're not. What are they gonna do? If they were in NATO, that means these countries have to come to Ukraine's aid. Well, none of the Europeans don't want to send troops, so Mm -hmm. they don't really want Ukraine in NATO. They just don't want to say. Yeah. That they can't be. So it's a pissing match. You know, even if they put nuclear weapons, let's say Ukraine and, and honestly, they can put nuclear weapons in Ukraine without Ukraine joining NATO. They just mm-hmm. have— the government has to agree to it. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's say they put nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Does that threaten Russia any more than all the nuclear weapons that are already aimed at <laughs> Russia? No, no, there's already no nuclear way. weapons within five, six, seven minutes of Moscow. Yeah. So how does it change anything, nuclear weapons in Ukraine? And most importantly, two things. All those missiles in Eastern Europe, Western Europe, the Russians know where they all are. Mm-hmm. They're easy to target. What's the hell the point of all this? And Because where's the real threat? It's from American submarines, which Russia mm-hmm. can't do anything about.
0: Okay. But hold
1: on. Russia has submarines they can target the United States and the U.S. can't do anything about it so they are already in a det- mutually assured destruction position mm-hmm. and putting weapons nuclear weapons in Ukraine doesn't change anything it's just a bunch of bullshit the whole thing of ICBMs yeah is bullshit it's it's money making uh, the military-industrial complex in the United States to a lesser degree, but significantly, the military-industrial complex in Russia, and you can throw China into but that's <laughs> not the Ukraine story. Yeah. They're all making a killing out of almost war in Ukraine. I, I don't see any reason why Russia would actually invade Ukraine, yeah. but it's a great psychological warfare, and it's like you know, it's. I believe it's like wrestling theater. Yeah. But here's the rub: when Bret Hart, this is after he had gone to the, uh, WCW. What was it, WCW or WCW, whatever yeah. the other wrestling federation? Yeah. Goldberg goes to do a drop kick mm-hmm. that's supposed to miss, and Bret's supposed to fall down. Yeah. That was the theater. But Goldberg didn't miss. Yeah. Goldberg hit Brett in the head and caused brain damage. As a result of that hit, Brett later had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Ended his wrestling career. Yes. So as as scripted and theatrical as wrestling is, shit happens. People really do get hurt. And the same thing in Ukraine. Yeah, as theatrical and posturing as pissing match as this is, shit happens. Accidents happen. Things get out of control. Some fire. Some shooting starts on one side because some soldiers, you know, get excited and shooting gets back, and it looks like something's going to fire. Both the United States and the U.S. have what Daniel Ellsberg. He's not the only one. I'm working Mm -hmm. with Daniel Ellsberg. uh, who released the Pentagon Papers. I'm working on a documentary film with him Uh based on his book, Doomsday Machine. Both Russia and the United States have nuclear doomsday machines, Yeah, and both can be triggered by serious on-the-ground conventional conflict. If it looks like one side or the other is actually drawn into conventional conflict, and it looks like they're losing, The American war plan has always been that triggers a first strike. Mm -hmm. So accidents happen. A conventional fight can break out. In 1983, at a time of extremely high tension between the United States and the Soviet Union, Mm -hmm. Reagan was making all kinds of uh, threats and language uh, about... uh, It's time for the fall of the Soviet Union, and we're coming Mm -hmm. to get you. He was even caught off, Mike, making a threat. Uh, Andropov, the uh, president of the Soviet Union, was sick and starting to really fear the U.S. was getting serious about a first strike. Well, right at that moment, Soviet radar picked up a bunch of what looked to them like American missiles on their way and only because the guy in charge of the uh, radar station Mm -hmm. didn't know whether to believe it or not and knew Antropov was in a state of mind that he would simply fire at the United States in a preemptive strike. Yes, He didn't tell Antropov what he saw on the radar. Now, it turned out that the Russian scientists had planned for all kinds of things, including the radar hitting the moon and bouncing back, mm-hmm. but in the algorithm they'd written to account for that, there's one day of the year which they didn't realize: the way the uh, radar bounced back off the moon mm-hmm. would make it look like incoming missiles.
0: Okay, okay. So,
1: that. so shit, ha- shit can happen. So the situation in Ukraine. It's extremely dangerous, and again, like in wrestling, as theatrical <clears throat> and posturing and pissing match as it is, mm-hmm. uh, it can get. It can actually get dangerous.
0: Well, Paul, you, you didn't joke when you said that you know a lot about politics, more than you do about wrestling. That was it was a, a very enlightening uh, discussion. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh, uh, speaking of, of shit happening. Well, at the at the end, at the end of uh, towards the end of uh, of uh, your documentary, Resting with Shadows, we see we see the the infamous scene of uh, of Bret Hart asking you to leave the, the locker room, and then allegedly he punched Vince McMahon in the face. Is that something that you had the chance to to see, or you or you were out of the locker room at
1: that moment? Oh, no, we were told to leave and we had to leave. We had extraordinary access uh, okay. because it was Brett. Okay. If it had been anybody else, uh, what happened early on when we were first doing the film? Yes. And we were signing our contract with the uh, what was then WWF. Yes. Yeah. Brett was the star. He, he and Vince were tight, there were no problems. Mm-hmm. And the contract we got, was that we agreed with only one thing. Uh, I I agreed that I wouldn't show the behind-the-scenes theater mm-hmm. uh, because I figured it's like if I was doing a film about a magician, Yeah,
0: yeah you, you, uh, I couldn't you show want the to, magic tricks. Yeah, you wouldn't want to reveal right. the tricks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But the deal was it was up to Brett. What could go in or not? Only on that one issue, not on anything else. Brett had okay. no creative control of the film other than what could I show of the behind the scenes scripting and all that. Well, as we, by the time we got into the film and things started to unfold, mm-hmm. he started to have his falling out with Vince. Yes. So there was a point where he was uh, planning a match. And I said, can we put a mic on you and film from a distance your conversation planning the match? And he thought about it, and he said, you know what? Fuck it. Go ahead. (laughs) It was getting to a point he just didn't care anymore. Plus, he knew that on this one issue, later on, he could ask me not to include it. So from that point on, he said, look, film whatever you want. I'll wear a mic anytime you want me to. And later, we'll figure out if there's any issues. Mm-hmm. And as I say, the more we got into the filming, the more antagonistic his relationship with Vince got. So uh, by the time we made the film, Vince, Brett didn't ask us to take any. We made zero changes. Mm-hmm. Brett, Brett didn't ask for any, and we didn't make any. Yeah. Um, so, it, like for example, when he goes in for that conversation with Vince in the film where they Plan mm-hmm. the match. Vince doesn't know that, that Brett's has, mic'd.
0: That he has a wire. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um so when we but because it's Brett, we were able to have access to the dressing room. Mm-hmm. So at that key moment after the match in Montreal, and yeah. we're in the dressing room, um, I knew that if I turned the camera towards anyone but Brett it might trigger them to say, hey, you got to get this camera crew out of here. So that's why in the film, you don't see anybody but Brett. You can hear Sean okay. uh, saying, I wasn't in on it, blah, 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 blah which yeah. he's lying through his teeth. Yeah. Um, but, but we were there. And then as Vince comes in, he, he knows that Vince is going to freak out if he sees the camera. So he tells us to leave. Um, I have no doubt that they had their words, and Brent punched him in the face, and he fell to the ground like a ton of bricks. Yeah, And we heard from various people afterwards. That's what happened. And then you see the shot of Vince staggering down the hallway Mm -hmm. afterwards. And it's kind of funny, because I know a guy who worked very closely with Vince, and I said, Mm -hmm. did you see the film? Now, Vince publicly claimed he'd never watched the film, which is all nonsense. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. But this guy said, Of course Vince saw it. I said, What did he think? He said, Oh, he was fine with all of that. He just didn't like one scene. <laughs> and that's him staggering down the hallway because it made him look weak. Yeah. He didn't want to people see that he'd been punched. So, yeah, it was, a, as far as I know, it was a real punch.
0: Yeah. And, uh- I'm curious how how did all the idea of re- of filming this because it takes place uh, the your documentary takes place like around a year more give or take, and yeah. uh, uh, how did the whole idea started because it clearly it clearly wasn't wasn't planned one, the, the screw job wasn't planned one year before so what did um, trigger uh, Brett uh, to have the idea Oh no the, the screw
1: they, job was. You know, I, you know the yes. gods of documentary filmmaking giving me an ending to the film. Uh, yeah. No, no, that was totally a last-minute thing. Uh, I just, you know, I'm I'm a dual citizen, U.S. Canadian, but I mm-hmm. grew up mostly in Canada, and my filmmaking was mostly based in Canada. So you're always looking for a Canadian big name, and and yes. Brett was at the time maybe the best-known Canadian in the world. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and uh, and then I saw him on television, and he was doing this uh, moody interview from the Mm -hmm. banks of the Rhine River in Germany, and and talking about retiring and this and that. And there was some truth to it; he really was talking about taking a break for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's during that time he gets the his contract is up, and he's gets this offer from WCW, and uh, he's debating what to do. he just looked like an interesting character. That his that mm-hmm. Moody interview with him was half theatrical but half real.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And he just looked like he'd be a compelling character. Then I looked into his family. You know, his father. This guy yeah. has he had the, you know the twelve kids, six boys, six girls. Every boy went into wrestling. Every girl married a wrestler. A wrestler. Yeah. And Stu Hart, the father, was tr- would train these people in the basement and torture them <laughs> with wrestling yeah. moves, and the whole thing was a crazy story and, and a good one. And so, so that with the wrestling theater, uh, I, I, I originally, uh, what intrigued me was uh, and, and made me want to do the film was actually an article by this French mm-hmm. philosopher Roland Barthes, yeah, uh, who who wrote a book uh, called. Uh, I can't remember now. Okay, but it's about symbols, and one of his one of the articles or essays in the book, I think mm. it's in 1955, 1956, is about professional wrestling in Paris. Yes, and there's this wonderful quote about wrestling being uh, light without shadows, emotion without reserve, mm-hmm. and about how wrestling characters play. These like these iconic characters, like in Greek mythology. Somebody plays courage. Somebody plays coward. Somebody yeah. plays, you know, the betrayer, and so on. And the fact, the way the audience uh, would buy into this theater and, and get so engaged and, and be so willing to suspend uh, disbelief, and, and 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 you know, for a lot of the audience, knowing yeah. that this was theatrical fighting, but still. It's, the, it's so well done. It's so artful.
0: Yeah, because it, it equals your, your gut feelings. Your...
1: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so all that intrigued me and I sold the film and I got a... You know, BBC came into it, Arte in Europe came into it, A&E uh-huh. in the US and Canadians. And, so basically, you, it was you and, that, and then, that... And then the fight with Vince McMahon broke out when we were almost near the end of the film. So
0: basically, uh, you approached Bret Hart uh, it, it wasn't the other oh, way Oh yeah, around. Okay. oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I went to visit okay. him in Calgary. I was I was out actually in at the Banff Television Festival, which I used to go to, and which is near Calgary. Yeah, I went, knocked on his door, and asked him if he wanted to do it. And eventually, okay. he said, "Yeah." Okay, how
0: how was working with him? How, because uh, since since you're not a wrestling fan, uh, I, I assume you 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 had like a different relationship. You weren't you weren't starstruck. Possibly, I don't
1: know. No, no, I, I mean, I've, no, I wasn't Starstruck. I've worked <laughs> with lots of big names in various ways. Uh, he was, uh, I, I mean, I liked him. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I found that, and the thing I guess I, in some ways, one of the things at least I liked the most about him is he really respected, liked, loved the audience. Um, I saw a lot of other wrestlers behind the scenes, and they actually had a mostly contempt for the audience. Uh, I think they, you know, the Groucho Marx joke about uh, I'd never join a club that would have me as a member. Yes, yes, It do. It, it's kind of like that, like, uh, you know, if you believe all this bullshit about wrestling, Uh, You know, you got to be. I'm not going to treat you with much respect. And and they would, you know, some of them, the bigger stars, they wouldn't even give autographs. And yeah, I don't know. Brett, I I don't think I ever saw Brett turn down a request for an audio, an autograph. Uh, You know, even if it held him out up late after a long show. Mm -hmm. Uh, No doubt he loved the love, he loved the attention, Mm -hmm. but so did the other guys. They they loved the attention, but they didn't treat people well. Yeah. Um, and 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 Brett was a thoughtful guy. Um, you know, as you can see from the film, he takes his character seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Brett wants to turn him into a heel in Montreal near the end, um, and have him lose, um, he didn't want to disappoint his fans. It was a this character of the hitman being a good guy, Mm -hmm. it really did mean something to him. Now, Vince had turned him into kind of a heel in the United States and a a hero in Canada because he had all this anti-American stuff. But that was okay with Brett. I mean, that's mostly how Canadians feel anyway. (laughs) Part of the Canadian identity is not liking U.S. control of Canada and the Canadian healthcare system and so on. Yes. And those scenes in the film are some of my favorite. Were Brett's in Alberta, which is the most conservative province in our country. Mm-hmm. You know, bragging about Canadian healthcare and all that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great uh, scene.
1: Well, so, so he was honestly, he was great. He was great to work with. There was no arrogance. There was no. He wasn't a prima donna. He was very cooperative. Uh, so he he was one of the people I've done films with that was best to work with.
0: Yeah, and as you said before, uh, you you were able to to catch a moment in time where everybody got to peek through the curtain and see and see what was really happening in wrestling, uh, because nowadays people often forget that that Vince McMahon was known as a commentator back then. He wasn't necessarily known as the owner of WWF, and. Uh, and all of this this kind of stuff and now we we see like someone like triple h who who eventually ended up marrying vince's daughter and and uh, and so on and so forth and at the time he he wasn't even one of the most prominent wrestlers uh but but we see the uh, triple h uh hunter hearst Hemsley.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. he was pretty, he was, yeah. he'd become fairly prominent because he was part of that. Uh, yeah. DX thing with, yeah. Shane. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Triple absolutely. X, yeah. But behind the scenes, he was already like mm, politicking uh, his way up. And uh, it seemed like that people, at least the people behind the scenes knew about it. For example, uh, Julie Hart, uh, she, 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 uh, she seemed to, to know about this. Yeah. Uh, do you recall, like any um, anything else that, that than what we've seen in the movie, like from someone like Triple H or Shawn Michaels, or like they're they're acting weird and sus- in a suspicious way, or something like that.
1: Well, for people that follow wrestling, they know that Shawn Michaels and Hunter that they all have admitted to what really went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that essentially, they you know they. Conspired with Vince, yeah, to have a, an ending that wasn't scripted and make Brett lose. Um, you know, they justify it because it was good for business. It's like the Mafia, Tony Soprano. It's not personal. It's just good for business. Yeah,
0: it is good for business.
1: Um, and uh, but at the time, I I don't know that I knew that. I don't think Hunter was so on the inside as he became later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess one of the things is the extent to which when the film came out and people who don't know about the film it was a big deal when the film came out it was you know yeah. seen all over the world um, certainly anyone interested in wrestling probably watched the film back then yeah um, and as you say Vince wasn't his role wasn't really so known but, but by he came out of the film for most people, not all, but most, he was the corporate bad guy. Yes. Well, Vince is brilliant. He adopted that as a character. He became yeah. the corporate bad guy who could come into the ring, preening and dancing around and play the character. Okay, you think I'm the corporate bad guy? Great, I'll be the corporate bad guy. And yeah. it, it was a storyline for ages uh, Vince, the corporate bad guy. Um, So he turned, you know, he and his uh, writers—they really are great storytellers. Um, Mm -hmm. I despise their politics, but they're very (laughs) talented, talented at what they do. Uh, So the film changed wrestling quite Mm -hmm. a bit, both in terms of exposing what it really was, but also, uh, you know, how the storylines evolved.
0: Yeah, and. did you had uh, the chance to talk with Vince at all? Like um, where you were received behind the scenes or stuff like that? Uh,
1: a little bit. Not a lot. I mean, he was certainly aware of the film. We yes. filmed him several times. Uh, we had scheduled uh, a sit-down long interview with him, um, and we were just trying to arrange the time. Mm-hmm. And then the, sh- the ship broke out in Montreal, and it, you know, okay. I don't know if you know the story afterwards. He tried to stop the release of the film.
0: Oh, uh, okay. And, no, I, I didn't know that.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that was a big story. That was a front-page story in uh-huh. uh, Hollywood Reporter, Okay. Uh, which is like one of the main trade newspapers in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, I guess I can tell that story quickly. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so the deal we had With Vince, was that when the film was finished, Mm -hmm. uh, he would give us releases uh, for all the individuals in the film that worked for the Wrestling Federation. Uh, They would all sign uh, releases allowing us to have them in the film. Yes. And he would hand over any stock footage we wanted from the uh, video library. Yeah. And it would all be copyright cleared for us. Well, that was very. in the contract very hard and clear. So we finished the film, and we're editing, and uh, you know we contact mm-hmm. the WWF, and we say, you know, we need those privacy releases, and we need access to the footage. And they wouldn't answer,
0: mm-hmm. and we'd
1: ask over and over and over, and they wouldn't answer. Okay. And it got to a point where, clearly, they were going to violate the contract. And not give us what we wanted, which would have killed the film.
0: Because yes.
1: we, you know, we're dealing with major broadcasters, and you have to have what's called E and O insurance, errors and emissions insurance. Mm-hmm. And to meet the requirements of the insurance policy, you need all these releases. Yes. And if you don't have the releases, the insurers won't insure, and the broadcasters won't pay you. So. So we get down near the wire. So that's going on. Right around the same time, uh, we get a call from the WCW.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, who is the guy that ran the WCW? Uh,
0: Eric Bischoff at the time. Yeah, Eric
1: Bischoff. Uh, I'm not sure if he called himself or maybe it was one of his lawyers. And they want to buy the fi- rights to the film for a pay-per-view. Okay. And they guarantee us. I think it was $500,000, and they told us in all likelihood our end of the pay-per-view would be at least a million dollars. Now, for a documentary, that's unheard of. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we contacted our broadcasters, who kind of had to agree because this would have gone before the public broadcast, and they were okay with it because a pay-per-view doesn't really interfere with nor, you know. A and E's and whatever. Yes. But we needed the errors and emissions insurance. We needed the releases. Yeah. And so I, you know, I said to Turner, "Yeah, we'd love to do the Mm pay-per-view. I'll try once more for the releases." And they said to me, "Well, if you don't, if they don't give you the releases, we'll help you sue them." Okay. So so I sent a, a fax to Vince and his lawyers. This is like on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I said if we don't hear from you Friday at noon, giving us the releases, uh, we're going to have to proceed with legal action because you're in violation of the contract. Yes. And the Turner lawyers, you know, Turner owned WCW. The Turner lawyers had told us we had a slam dunk case. That was their language, which lawyers don't. <laughs> Usually like to use, yeah. But it was very clear in the contract they owed us this stuff. So I said Friday at noon, uh, or we're going to start litigation, and you know we'll get an injunction or something Mm -hmm. to make you give us the footage. So at noon we get a fax from like five minutes to twelve noon. We get a fax from WWF. They said you can have your releases. And you can have your footage, but on one condition. You cannot do business in any way with this film, with the Turner organization in any shape or form. (laughs) You can't do anything with the WCW, uh, and you can't do anything with anything to do with Turner, which would have been connected to Warner Brothers as well. uh, Because at that point, Warner Brothers had made us an offer for the DVD release. Okay. Well, clearly, Vince had a spy in Bischoff's camp because everything we'd been talking about with WCW was supposed to be secret. And they obviously knew about it. So we get this fax, and I have to go back to Turner, and I say, you know, here's the deal. I said, you know, what what comes next? And Turner says to me, we will finance you suing them. Up to up to a cap of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now this is back in nineteen ninety eight. So what is that like? A mill and a half or something? Now I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, probably with inflation.
1: So that's a lot of lawyer legal fees. Mm -hmm. I said, great, okay, let's do it. Let's can we get an injunction to make them hand the stuff over? And there's a long silence, and they said, well, we can try. But usually in the United States, it's it's not it's very hard to get an injunction to make somebody do something. Mm. You can get an injunction to stop them from doing something damaging. Okay. But but to make them do something to avoid damages is very difficult. In all likelihood, you have to su- sue them for not allowing you to deliver to your broadcasters, which Mm -hmm. means all the A&E deal, the BBC deal, all of that would go down the toilet. We would probably have to refund the initial money we were paid by those people. The the pay-per-view would go down the toilet, at least for quite some time, forever really, because Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, according to the Turner lawyers, all you'd ever get is money. You'd never get the releases. You'd never get the video footage, but they'd have to pay you damages, which could amount to millions of dollars. Yeah. So I had a decision to make do we want to make, release this, finish this film, which looked like it was going to be one of the great films, or take a few years and hopefully win a legal case and make a lot of money? And in the end, I in the end I said, you know, the hell with it. You know, I'm a
0: filmmaker.
1: This <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. too good a film to bury. Yeah. And I said, okay, the hell with you. So I we said no to the pay-per-view. We said yeah. no to Turner. We made the deal with Vince. We got all the the stuff. The all releases, the footage. Yeah. And they lived up to it. At that point, they gave us the releases, the footage because they only really cared about the war with Turner. That's what really yeah. mattered to them. Yeah. The, the the fact that the film exposed wrestling and made Vince look bad coming down a hallway, that was all secondary to them. The fact that they killed the pay-per-view, that was for them the big win.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, Paul, one last question before I let you go. Uh, do, in your memory, do you remember like? Uh, that someone on that night in Montreal, that someone went to you, your team, or to Brett to say, like, I'm sorry this happened. This is really fucked up. And I uh,
1: mean, afterwards?
0: Yeah, afterwards.
1: Oh, B-b-b-b-b- I don't think I actually witnessed it, but I know I heard that the. um Oh God, what was his name? The guy that walked around, the great big tall guy that looks like he's Uh, a zombie or
0: something. Yeah, The Undertaker.
1: The Undertaker. I heard the guy that plays Undertaker Mm -hmm. did say that to Brett. Um, I know a a lot of the guys were extremely disturbed about it at the time because Mm -hmm. uh, not so so much necessarily what happened to Brett. It it was that to violate a script can be really dangerous. That you're, you're in many of these situations, you're kind of putting your life on the line. So yes. once it's agreed what should be done, you don't change the script because somebody can get hurt. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, a lot of the wrestlers were very disturbed that an agreed outcome was changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that from various people indir- indirectly. Um, later, I think a lot of the guys I mean they made their money out of the wrestling Federation yeah uh, a lot of them bought vince 's argument i can't have my guy go to the other federation still wearing my belt yeah. even though Vince had offered to give up the belt yeah but Vince and this is what uh, one of the more important parts of the film you know Brett 's on camera saying Vince treats his wrestlers like circus animals
0: mm-hmm
1: and especially back then, the wrestlers did not get paid very well, except for like a Hulk Hogan or a Brett, but a everyone Breton, else was yeah. pretty bad. A lot of them got hurt. Uh, many, many of them uh, were on steroids and wound up with brain injuries. Uh, the suicide rate is ridiculous amongst yeah. retired wrestlers. The, you know, Even the numbers of people in that are in the film that are dead in one way or another, yeah, uh, because staggering. of their role, you know, starting with Brett's brother, who
0: unfortunately was,
1: was killed because of uh, the negligence of the wrestling Federation. In fact, they, they had to pay Owen Hart's uh, wife, well, it was 13 million dollars yeah. out of a civil litigation suit. Um, so, so, th- so th- that was kind of the other important metaphor. Out of the wrestling, it's the, the it's like the way workers are treated, uh, yeah. especially ununionized workers. Uh, they're treated like animals, and that's how those wrestlers were, were treated.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see that. And all those years after, um, do you still are you still in touch with Brett?
1: Yeah, yeah. We I would say at least once a year or so we <laughs> talk, or if. You know, when I was living in Baltimore for a while, if he was in that area, he'd call and we'd catch up or, you know, in Toronto. I haven't seen him now maybe for a couple of years, Yeah. but his daughter called me the other day about something. And yeah, yeah, we're we're still we're we're friends. We're we're still in touch in some ways.
0: Did you did you had the chance to to. Talk with him, like uh, I don't know if, if you know about that, but a few years back he came back to to WWE to uh, like make peace with uh with Shawn Michaels, or at least that's what they shown on TV. Do you know? Do you know uh, how their relationship is right now?
1: Uh, yeah, I I remember when he made up with Vince. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the big deal. I think he actually talked to me about it. What I thought when Vince was asking him to come back and make a few appearances, and yes, and uh, and we talked about it. I I didn't. Why not? You know, in the end, it was about a piece of theater. And yeah, he was betrayed by Vince, but it's not like he got killed or something. He didn't. (laughs) He went to the WCW and he made a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and so I mean, I didn't see any big reason for him not to. And he kind of felt like he wanted, you know, One, he could use the money. You know, Vince yeah. was going to pay him a, a decent money to come back. And in the end, it was a business. So uh, he he certainly didn't feel that way at the time. Brett Brett was really oh, yeah. betrayed. And 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 as the film shows. To a large extent, Vince had become his uh, a new father figure for Brett yeah. in a very real way. So when Vince betrayed him, it was like his second father betrayed him. Yeah. But after a few years, you know, he he got he got over the hurt of that. Um, and as far as Sean goes, uh, you know, Sean became this born again Christian and yeah, and 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 admitted to all of it. his you know his lying about it all um so yeah i think it's fairly genuine that he sort of made up with sean
0: okay okay well Paul, thank you so much for this chat uh this is has been truly interesting interesting to hear from you and uh if you want to to plug where people can find you feel free to do it
1: yeah, go to the analysis.news and in fact the the film is in the documentary section. So if you want to see Wrestling with Shadows, go to the documentary section of the analysis.news and you can watch the film. And if you want to know more about Ukraine <laughs> and uh, all the other kinds of stuff we cover, uh, you'll see there's lots of uh, interviews and stories about what's going on in the world. And they're all in the same spirit. We we try to pierce the theatrical bullshit of how news is covered by mainstream media and get to the the real core of what's happening.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul, and uh have have a nice day there.
1: All right, thanks for the invitation.
0: Bye. Ciao.